Well, hello. It's officially live, the 100th episode. And do you know what? Because it's live, you get a little uh, behind-the-scenes look at what really goes on. Now, you may have noticed that I'm sat in the same old position, same chair that I'm normally sat in, in the consultation room, okay? But what you don't have to realise, what you don't realise is what I have to personally part with, because although this has been scheduled for a very long time you know 100th episode we were going to do it live mr chris still not has he's just not bothered to show up has he i've had a message saying he's going to be 10 minutes maximum so we'll see how long it takes for him to actually get here i hope that you'll have some sympathy for me and i hope that you realize that i'm really the one that is the one that actually makes all the shit actually happen behind the scenes I have to push all the buttons and that, which I don't always get right, but at least I show up on time, most of the time. So anyway, hello and welcome to the No Holes Bar Witchcraft Podcast, the 100th episode. Did you think we would make it to 100 episodes? I was going to say a little ropey. I thought it was a little ropey there for a bit at the beginning. Quite what we've covered in what must, I suppose, be 100 hours given that like the full podcast is a is an, a full hour in the very least sometimes we do go a little bit over i don't know it's all very strange isn't it when i look back from the beginning the inception of the no holes bar witchcraft podcast me and chris had an original idea that no one else has thought of which was let's make a witchcraft podcast because obviously no one else is doing it <laughs> that was a joke for our friends at home they're a little bit slow that was a joke. I know there are many witchcraft and occulty podcasts out there. Obviously, none of them are as good as ours. I would say that because I'm biased. But still, when we sat down and we thought, let's make a podcast. What are we going to make a podcast on? What's going to be the format? Chris came up with the idea of when we used to go on little jollies and drives around the UK, you know, a bit like Scooby doing the mystery machine, except it was a Volkswagen caddy. Um, we kind of thought, well, we have quite interesting conversations, the two of us, about magic and general witchery and bitchery. Why not just do something where we just talk to each other and kind of record it? That was the No Holes Bar Witchcraft podcast. That was the original idea. What we were going to do was we were going to record our little random jollies around the UK. Normally takes for us an hour or two to get anywhere. So we always have kind of magical conversations on the way to various, I suppose you'd call them gigs, events and stuff like that we'd, we'd run or participate in. And we thought, well, that might be a good idea, you know. It's all very low budget, don't have to worry too much, no big editing or anything like that. Problem is, when you're driving along, particularly when you're recording on a camera on your phone and that, the audio, we did one episode, uh, which never actually made it to air, I, I don't think. Um, it was one of the deleted episodes, it was early on, when we went to a 
psychic fair that we created it was a great traveling psychic and holistic fair if you've ever heard of it is one that me and chris both run and own it takes place in a couple of different places in uh, england we recorded we turned up at the venue an hour before it was supposed to open you know as you're supposed to really and uh, the person that was supposed to open the building was a nice old um, kind of village hall type thing. The person that was supposed to open the building obviously didn't. Um, oh, Chris has sent me a message and I don't know what, what is going on. Right, I have no idea. Oh, crap. Right, I don't know if anyone can hear me, but my computer is just completely <laughs> crashed. And Chris has sent me an error message. Apparently, uh, we did a little episode, a problem. Uh, it was called the Mesopotamian problem episode, and it went a little bit awry. So really, 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 really bad things happened during that episode. And I'm not in even sure whether we're going to air it. Um, he had computer issues and his entire hard drive crashed and everything basically messed up. So I don't think that he's going to join us. We recorded that like literally a couple of days ago and his entire thing crashed. And now I don't know what is going on with his computer. He sent me kind of like one of those blue screens of death. I'm going to see if I can, um, I'll see if I can actually log in. I'm wondering if he can get in through his phone. But yeah, this is the problem when you do crap live. It's like horrendously difficult and bad. Uh, right, okay, so what am I doing? Am I back? I don't know if I'm back or not. There we go. Right, don't know if I'm back. Don't know how many much of that you've heard at all. This is the problem with doing stuff live. All sorts of crap goes wrong and I haven't even been drinking or nothing. So basically, what's happened is Chris is obviously late. On top of Chris being late, we uh, 
recorded this special episode which was called Horrors of Babylon. It was all about the Mesopotamian problem. Some of you may be aware of it, some of you may not be aware of it. And uh, halfway through the episode, when Chris was about to reveal some top secret information about politics on a multi-dimensional level, not only did his computer crash, but his entire hard drive fried. And I've been having some Wi-Fi issues ever since as well. So there's also all sorts of crazy ass stuff that's going on um, at the moment. It may not have been the best idea to do this live, but oh well. So anyway, 100th episode, I'm quite excited. It's probably not going to be your usual episode, A, because it's live, but also is that I don't know if Chris is going to be able to make it or not, which is quite a shame, really. So it means that I kind of get the limelight for an hour. And although I'm quite mm, fairly good at making stuff up as I go along, I'm not sure I can deliver uh, the great kind of to and fro unless I start having conversations with myself which does tend to happen, I'm not going to lie. So instead I want to talk a little bit about the journey of the No Horse Bar Witchcraft podcast. Because when we first started with our idea for to just record our conversations whilst we drive, normally takes a couple of hours to get to different venues for various different magical gigs, gigs, psychic fairs and such, maybe the odd banishing exorcism, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Then, uh, oh look, he's asking me to send him the link. <sighs> Crying out loud. There we go. Uh, so yeah, so basically when we were driving around to various different places and that, it was the idea was just to record the conversations. And if you think our audio quality is bad, which I promise you it will be getting better at some point because I've invested in some like audio visual equipment, I suppose you call it like cameras and that sort of thing. So hopefully our quality for our, if we do any further content, because I'm not promising, bearing in mind we've done a hundred episodes for you all, first series out of the way. Who knows, there might not be a second series. We'll have to see whether you really like us that much, you know, to want us to do a second series. I've always quite enjoyed it, but I don't know. Is, is Chris here? I can see a little icon pop up. Chris, are you there? Can you rap in a knock, you know, do some clicking or noise making or something like that just to show me that you're here, spirit? I'm here, don't worry. Yeah. I was telling them all about the Mesopotamian problem and all of the issues that... I know, I've been listening on Facebook. Okay. You know, the bit where you said I was late and that I don't turn up and you do all That's the important it. things, apparently. Say that again, love. You do all the important shit. I do the stuff behind the scenes. I do the stuff behind the scenes. That's how it works. I push the buttons. I literally said I push the buttons. Look, hands-free, I'm literally pushing your buttons right now. That's how fucking good I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you made it to the 100th episode. We haven't got long left. We've only got 50 minutes. <laughs> and we've got to fill that with various things. So I was just explaining, like, the insemination, the idea of the No Holes Bar Witchcraft podcast and that. 
it started with the idea of just having a conversation and recording it in driving along and stuff that didn't really work out because of obvious issues that we never thought about which was we need to drive around a lot more and the audio quality is not that good whilst you are driving up and down the motorway so you know we've come up with this kind of a format which was very similar except we just sit down and actually record a conversation and to a certain extent think and are mindful about that someone else is listening um but i don't know does our format does it make sense because it's kind of like other formats i'm seeing for um for a lot of things out there but we just kind of generally have conversations I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts and they like do speeches and lectures and then they've got ad breaks and all sorts of stuff. I'm wondering if we're missing a trick here, Chris. I, I don't think so. I think, no. I think it detracts from the content, which is why we do this one. Um, I don't mind adding gimmicks and stuff to Fausty, but I, uh, think, I think this is our purest format. So how free are you when you are having conversations on this here podcast? Do you censor yourself at all? Only until the until the blood the bloodshed. Um that's slightly different. <laughs> hmm. Your past <laughs> incarnations are creeping out. <laughs> Well, if I have to deal with this here Mesopotamian problem messing with this shit, then I may have to go all goddess in. Mm. I'm not so would happy. You say, would you say you censor yourself? Only in, only until the um, the Patreon starts. I don't know if I would say I censor myself. I would go closer to the yes I do than the no I don't which might upset some people because they might think wait a minute Liam you're so horrible and nasty in everything you do and say what what do you mean there's more to give yes I do have a lot more to give everyone <laughs> I have the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> what I sent to myself is I changed my wording in my descriptions and I tried to put myself in the audience issue so it's not like I changed my opinion and censor myself that way um like a politician what I do is I try to be mindful that there are people listening and the problem I think Chris has always been you don't quite know who's listening so you don't quite know whether they're going to understand what you're saying or not, or whether they're going to get anything out of it. Because this was kind of, to a certain extent, a kind of a little bit of an indulgence for us. We didn't care so much with this compared to other content as to whether we get, you know, we didn't really care whether people understand what we're talking about or not. I think too much of this mm -hmm. podcast that make super basic statements and make it every bite-sized and easy to digest, a liquidized meal, I suppose, I think they lose a certain something and I think we can just go here, there and everywhere and people can follow along. I've heard people that have said they listen to the podcast episodes time and time again, three times in a row and then go back to them and hear something slightly different that they didn't understand when they listened to it because they've progressed magically or have more experience, you know, that kind of thing. What, what, what about your thoughts? I think... The only thing that's really changed with this, sorry, the blue tinge that keeps happening is this, fucking shit up. 
Um, the um, um, yeah, so the I think the only thing that's really changed is I think we're more mindful of what people get out of it. So I think we have a tendency to um, kind of consider who will be using it for training, I think. And therefore, I think we make sure we've added certain things so that people are aware or explained ourselves a little bit better than we probably would if it was just us talking, which is obviously what it was supposed to be. Um, the only way you get access to that now is that thing we don't talk about that happens on tier two. Um, yes, that's. I suppose that's kind of the original idea. Yeah, that's about the closest you get to, you know, as something that we don't explain, don't don't ask for input, and it is just us talking to each other, is about that's... the only time they really see it. That certain planetary hour. That certain planetary hour. I but... quite like that certain planetary hour. Not just the planetary hour, but also the content you were kind of alluding to. Now, the we're, we're 19 minutes in already. <laughs> right. The idea for this, I got proper prepared and I made a spreadsheet. I thought 100 episode, 100 questions. And some people have written in and messaged and asked questions and stuff. I don't think we're actually going to make it through a hundred questions, but what I thought we could do is start tackling the hundred questions, you know? What was the uh, total? I'm not going to tell you what the total is. What I'm going to do is I just going to go through them and we'll see how quickly we can go through them with actually answering them. Okay. I will, I will be a little honest. I didn't actually write the 400 questions. <laughs> So, when it gets to the point where I've ran out of questions on the spreadsheet, I'll make some up, and then we'll see if you can tell whether they're ones I've made up off the top of my head, or whether they're ones that have actually been asked, okay? Good. I'm also going to highlight in green, because I know how to do that. So, our first question, if anyone wants to ask a question, then you can write it in the comments, and we will also try our best to answer them uh, i can see the comment section somewhere yeah there we go some person has said he spent the entire 15 minutes leading up to that one joke right okay yeah so you uh people you can leave a comment and uh in the form of a question and we will do our best to get round to it we'll probably prioritize the questions that are coming in live as opposed to the spreadsheet question but chris here is the first question I won't say who has asked them, because I'm sure people wish to be known, you know, wish to be anonymous. But the first question is, what was your first power slash ability slash magical operation thing that you could do? Okay. Presuming we're going into an early age at this point. Yeah, this this so, age. This, this lifetime. This lifetime. Um, this lifetime would be telepathy. Oh, not weather stuff. I thought that you was always affinity with the weather. Didn't you no. create thunderstorms whilst you cried as a baby? Probably, but I wasn't aware of it. And I'm oh, assuming okay. you want me to say is what the first thing I was aware of. The first thing I was aware of was, yes, reading people's minds and finishing their sentences. 
Right. So telepathy, that's really interesting because I was going to say that no. it would be, for me, mind manipulation and getting into people's heads, um, often very silent because I didn't tend to get involved. I didn't use it as a bad thing. I was a very, very shy, retiring and sweet little boy, you see. I never did anything wrong that anyone ever found out about. Um, and uh, that's interesting. Is that a common thing, do you think, telepathy as being like the first kind of ability thing that people do? Because I'm not here that it comes up that much as the first. Normally people go on about uber manifestation-y things or seeing spirits and pixies and shit at the bottom of their bed. But that's the thing, to me, I think that's what it's about. It's that connectivity that we have naturally when we're born. Mm. You know, we, we forget it all as culture starts to take over. Um, and you've finished your programming, I guess. Um, so from a child development point of view, by five, you've mapped out your curriculum, shall we say. Mm. Um, and therefore... Um, at that point, I think people stop seeing. I did some training at work, as you can imagine, a few months ago. Um, and one of the questions on this kind of thing that we were asked to do um, was remember the first time certain things happened? And one of the questions was when you stopped seeing fairies and other things, other kin kind of thing. Um, and I obviously didn't have the heart to say <laughs> I haven't stopped seeing them because that was a whole kettle of fish I didn't want to open in front of 200 people. But, um, you know, I do it on here. But this is a, you know, people that find us have the worthiness to listen to what we say. Um, whereas, whereas, yeah, I'm not so... Not so certain. So I think that I think everybody's like that, and then we stop remembering it or stop doing it. And obviously, I don't feel like I stopped doing it. Mm. Okay. So our second question: What magical practitioner or practitioners do you admire, and why? This is going to be a difficult one for you, I think, isn't it? <laughs> You'll probably get the cop-out answer. Am I allowed to say myself? Yes, you can, but we will all judge you for saying yourself. When someone says, like I've literally asked you, what practitioners in the world, whether they be currently alive or dead or what, do you admire? Why do you admire them? The first thing that you say is yourself. That yeah. says a lot about your personality and ego. And they do say that there is a big ego problem in occultism. In occultism. I'm wondering whether most of that is your ego. <laughs> no. I'm not egotistical enough to think I'm the biggest ego. Um, <laughs> no, like what I mean is, as in, people tend to refer to the person they admire as someone that taught them something wonderful or was there when they needed them. So yourself. That, <laughs> so you think, yeah, it's got to be me. I'm my greatest fan and critic. There are people I think are amazing, but 
I think admiration kind of says I've learned something from that person. And I, think I, learned, I think I've learned more from the the young adults I, I teach at college than I've learned from other practitioners magically. Right. Admire, regard with expect or warm approval. So it's not necessarily technically about learning something. It's about respecting them and you approve of them they make you feel warm and fuzzy inside i suppose when you go kind of like oh you're so cool you know in it like that admire and then we have quite a few patrons that are like like that are you going to name yeah. them you're going to name every single one you admire so that people can listen mm -hmm. and and say oh he didn't say me that means chris hates me he hates me he does he didn't say my name he hates me i knew it <laughs> It's another scoring program as it is. I'm not going to mention it, um, but let's just say there are some people that are very good astrally, and let's leave it at that. Right. Okay. So if they haven't right. made it to the astral, they know they're not on the list. Oh, I don't know. It's like the little train that could. Some people try really, 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 really hard and still don't make quick progress. But I kind of admire that, that they don't give up. Um, for me, generally speaking, I think if I don't dislike you, I probably do admire you because I don't like people. And the people I do like, I really like, you know? Yeah. So, so for me, if I were to rattle off magical practitioners I admire and why, I admire quite a lot of people that are on our mentoring. Now, people would say, in fact, some cynical bitches would probably say that I get paid to say that. Believe you me, I don't get paid to say that specific thing. I get paid to assist in you, you know, assist you... In your, helping you in your magical path, I don't. As anyone that has been mentored by me personally, you'll probably know. <laughs> I can be quite harsh, and I'll tell you how it is. And because people rise to that, I do admire them for that. And I admire people that yes, have got a lot of ability and have progressed and have done weird and wonderful, wacky, amazing things. By I admire people that have kept getting knocked back like there are people that are kind of like the most worst shittiest i'm going to be honest crappiest occultists ever but they are persistent and i really admire that and that's why i know they've got something they've got they've got what it takes to get there i love to see that that that's it's a hunger are you trying really desperately have you forgot this is no holds barred right i know it's no holds barred but this I do, I do. no, I do, I do genuinely admire people that try. Now, people that don't try and pretend they try, I absolutely despise with a passion, as you can tell, because I've called many people out on this very here podcast that pretend that they're trying and they're not. All the people that try are the reason that it's TikTok and Instagram are so, it's so, so popular. And I, I don't think you can. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Is I'm saying like trying. No, that's a different kind of trying. When they try your patience, that's not the sort of trying that I'm talking about, Chris. I'm talking about trying where they put a lot of effort. The people that go down into the woods at night, right, to try and connect with something or do an evocation or evocation, and they go there ten times in a row and it still don't fucking work, but they're still going. 
I admire that. I really do admire that, you know, because it takes something. You have to not give up. I love strong people that don't give up. You know, I admire that. That's a, a quality that I put quite highly, you know. Flim flammy, wishy washy dabblers. No, don't like that. You know, the try hards. I like the try hards. I like the naturals. If the naturals, as long as they're not a pain in the ass and cry every five minutes, because I do often find that with the naturals, because they're used to doing everything perfectly first time round, you know, as soon as they hit a net, a little snickle, they're normally the ones like, right, it's impossible. I can't do this and I never will. Whereas, like, some of the people that are used to failure, yes. I don't think I specified saying anything about naturals. I tried to delineate by saying those that have managed to get to the astral. That didn't say whether or not they were tryhards or not. That just so said... Respect people and admire people that have gone to the astral because, you know, in this day and age, presumably it's not the very common thing to be able to do. Yeah, but it should be, but it's not. So, so anyone that hasn't gone to the astral, you don't admire? Because <laughs> that's how I'm reading it, because that's how other people are going to read it. You're critic. That's fine. You make me out to be the bad guy. It's all good. Next question. <sighs> Next question. What god, goddess, or spirit do you empathise with the most? Oh, that's interesting. Oh. So for me, Prometheus. No, can't stand him. Whiny bitch. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It's the, the idea that... I, I've always said Mercury... Well, her, no, Mercury, not Hermes. I do like Hermes, but Mercury more so. But I'm going to say Prometheus on top of that. And also Atlas. No, I don't like him. See, um, I like both of those. And I got on extremely well with both of those. And the, I rarely feel emotion, as you know. My emotional processing chip occasionally, much like one of those dodgy binky lights in the car that goes on when you turn around a corner and such. I had a band like that. It was a French one. Um, <laughs> My emotional processing chip occasionally goes on, right? And when I'm working with certain things, those two, I actually feel something, Chris. I actually feel, it's not just a ping, it's like when it, the chip goes on, it lights up and it stays on for a bit. It's like, oh, this is weird. But come on, let's hear yours. Mine is probably going to be someone like, well, I really wanted to because I'm a dick. I really wanted to say uh, Narcissus, but because that would be really funny. <laughs> or Echo, because I thought those would be funny. But no, my genuine one is probably someone like Persephone, actually, in terms of characters that I empathise with and, you know, have concern or heartfelt need for. Um, is that, or perhaps like Daphne or someone, some of the kind of, um, ones that have gone through like real metamorphosis um, and change. Whereas you've listed people that are just required. It's their job. We put a pretty story around them, but ultimately 
they are just cogs of the universe. You may as well have just listed angels, Liam. I like cogs. I'm a robot. Yeah. When I die, if I have to have a gravestone, I want it to be, say on it, he was efficient. Fuck all this loved by many bollocks. I want it to be he was efficient. That is a compliment. I find that a high compliment. Um, uh, yeah, I find that if you don't respect my connection to these entity stories and such, then you don't respect it. But Chris, question number four, do you have any magical regrets? Ooh. He's thinking. No magical regrets. I don't think so. Yes, there are missed opportunities, but I don't think they're ever quite regretful. I think I've got more regrets in my mundane life than I do my magical one. Do you live a life of regret? No. <laughs> I love how you say that. No. <laughs> magical regret. So my biggest magical regret is... Um, probably not being true to the person I want to be from a young age. So for me, growing up, I always tried to be what society and people said was the good person, the right thing, all righteousness. And that I think is partly to do with, you know, Abrahamic to a certain extent upbringing and stuff. And I, I strived to, to only do nicey, nicey things for people and to curb that entire part of myself. And that was definitely to my magical detriment. So I would say that I would probably have had an easier time and I'd have had a much nicer time in my magical upbringing journey to this point. If from a young age, I decided to be a little bit more balanced. It's one of the reasons why I, I, I talk a lot about balance and that because I can see the harm that all of this nicey nicey behavior does a lot of people say if everyone's nice to each other the world would be a better place sorry but yeah this isn't how the world's supposed to function now this reality is supposed to function it's, it's awkward right I don't like it I'm glad I'm not as nice as I used to be a lot of people <laughs> In fact, in my personal life, most of my biggest regrets in my personal life, I don't know about you, most of my biggest regrets in my personal life has been going out of my way to help people I dislike. A lot of people would say that that's a good character, you know, part aspect to your character and nice things to do. That's always my kind of big mundane regrets. I think I wish I didn't waste my time on that project or that person or whatever. I wish I just walked away and watched them like burn. I think I'd be a lot happier <laughs> and less stressed out if I'd learned to walk away. <laughs> um, so next question. Do you really think you're a super witch? Mm. Um, no, not really. It's a term that we've kind of got used to 
like I've got used to the word witch. Um, it doesn't really explain what I am, but at the be it does the best that is offered to me at the time. Originally, it was supposed to be an insult, so it was yeah. actually someone that labelled me and you that I think it was on social media, um, in comments and such, as an insult, saying, oh, well, you're a super witch, you're so much better than the rest of us, or at least you think you're so much better than the rest of us. And I suppose I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I know it was meant to be an insult, but when I really, because I often do, if someone says they disagree with me or dislike something I've said or done or whatever, I actually do generally go away and think about it. Unfortunately, I think what the person wanted me to do was to go away and think, I've been a little bit loud, bullshit, rude. And what I actually did is went away and I thought, I need to double down on how harsh I've been or what I'm saying, or the reason why they're calling me a super witch was because it was comments that I made that were designed to be comments that people have never heard before. So it was about magical um, learning and people asking questions and I would answer a question, I'd answer it honestly, I'd answer it too honestly. I'd answer it honestly, not in terms of trying to you know, uh, upset people or say, oh, I'm so much better than you or this is what you should be doing, this is what you shouldn't be doing. It was more about, for me, I was answering questions in terms of, well, everyone else is going to put the same old thing, which looking through the comments feed and stuff, everyone did put the same old crap. I'm going to put something different. What can I put that might make people think? So I put things like that. And because it's so different, Certain people don't like it because I'm different, Chris. Certain people do not like me. Got all X-Men on you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you don't think you're a super witch. Would I call myself a super witch? I don't. I find it amusing when other people do, and I think that you can fight against names and um, nicknames and stuff that people give you, or you can embrace them, whether they're good or bad. I think it's too much of a waste of time, like the whole witch thing. The only reason I came about with witchcraft was realistically was after I met you. Um, and I didn't really tend to use the term witch or anything like that to describe myself, but the more public I became, the less I could run away from that because it's a common word that gets used. If you cast spells and shit, that's the first thing that pops into people's mind. Uh, head is witchcraft and stuff. So you can take it on board or you can run away. Super witch, I see, and people tend to either say it as, oh, you're all high and mighty, get off your high horse, Liam, which I have no intention of getting off of my fucking high horse, I'll have you now. Um, so adopting that super witch kind of thing is like, yeah, I just use it against them to kind of say thank you very much. Um, mm -hmm. And then if it's from someone that kind of admires what I've said or done or agrees with me or is inspired by something that I've said, then people do say that as a little joke to, oh, thank you, I appreciate, you know? But no, you don't personally like the phrase? Is that what you're saying? I don't dislike it. Like, I get why people use it, but it's not 
it's not something I would call myself. Like I've got comfortable with the word witch in general, um, because I've had to, but the because I can't find a word that better describes what we do without using words that really don't sell well um, and are akin to a blue characters on a movie that's taken 10 years to put the second one out. What about um, the cultist? Would you ever describe yourself as an occultist? Why? Because a cultist to me says book taught. Right. And 99% yeah. <laughs> what I do has nothing to do with what I've read in a book. Um, so, and I don't even like using the word hereditary because that doesn't feel right either. You know, when they mm. start talking about hereditary witchcraft and I'm kind of like, well, I inherited it, but not from my bloodline. Um, you don't be talking proper incestuous if, you're talk if you want to call yourself hereditary. It doesn't get yeah. any more incestuous than yourself. Right. Um, so yeah, so I, I kind of there are lots of words that are used, and I don't like any of them really. Um, the one I get, like I kind of accept is witch. Um, whereas super witch, I, it amuses me. Okay, I don't dislike it. Um, I've never asked someone to stop saying it. Um, my, I think most people call it them like it's an aspiration. And that just amuses the shit out of me. Um, like that it's actually an aspiration to be criticised for it. Um, I think it's the same way that when um, people really like the word muffin, well, that probably means nothing to you. It's a northern word, but... Muffin? Um, boffin. Boffin. Oh, boffin. That's a, an, an anorak, isn't it? What? A smart person. Anorak is a smart person. Oh, okay. An anorak is what you put to stop you get self getting wet. I thought it was that thing that paedophiles used in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow, <laughs> yellow coat man. <laughs> oh. Right, next um, question. Do you want to pick a number? Would you prefer to pick a number, a random number? No, because you'll you'll still Okay, we'll go in order then. Right, number six. What is your favourite myth or story? Ooh. Interesting. Favourite myth or story? You must have a favourite myth, surely. Favourite's tricky, mainly because if I was to say the one I like the most, that kind of puts me in a strange category where you... Oh, I don't know. So because my favourite story is um, is about Philomela and that's essentially about her sister being raped and her sending a rug um, in order to send a secret message. So when you say it that way, um, to try and synopsis it, um, that makes me sound like some kind of monster. Um, but essentially it's about the, the story is supposed to be about the secret language of weavers and women it's actually a power story um but we hear about it mostly from um people like ovid so it's written in a context of metamorphosis so the exciting bit in the story is when they all turn into birds at the end but that's not the bit i like um 
So yeah, it's a it's about it's a story which Sophocles um, used the used the term in a lost play that we don't have um, called the Voice of the Shuttle, and I like that as a concept. We use so many textile words in our language in the West that it's a, yeah, that's my favourite one. Um, but my normal public one would probably be the Moray or something, you know. Spinners created tapestries of people's lives, but you know, we'll see. I was told a story many years ago now, which stayed with me. I don't know if it's an official story, or I don't know if the person made it up, but it spoke to me and summarized. Um, it doesn't really make me feel, you know, happier, stronger, more able or anything like that, or particularly motivates me, but it sums up, I think, my idea for how witches progress. And it was, it's the story of the devil and the cartwheel, okay? <laughs> Which is a bit weird. I don't think that that's the official title of it, but that's how I remember it in my mind, Devil and the Cartwheel. I won't tell you it now if you don't know it. I might tell you it at some point. In fact, we could do a podcast on it or something. Um, but that is my favourite story. Uh, so next one, really interesting one. Worst ever student fuck up. Oh, there's so many, Chris. <laughs> um, oh, that is a tricky one. Um, it is putting you on the spot. I'm presuming yeah, nothing sp specifically springs to mind. Springs to mind instantly. I don't have a specific case that springs to mind, but what I do have is a repeating pattern. And that is when I tell someone to do something and they don't do it, and then they come back and I tell them the same thing and then they don't do it and then they come back and I tell them the same thing. Three is a magic number. And first time really pisses me off. So you can imagine how upset I am at the third time. I've had a number of students over the years that have done that, that free thing, triple thing. At that point, when it gets to number three, is when I've been known to interfere with the situation. I'll just leave it as that and make the situation worse. I, you can do stupid stuff and learn from your own mistakes, but if you don't learn after three attempts, when I've told you exactly what to do and you're still not doing what I've exactly told you to, to do. At that point, you make me so angry, I just want you to suffer. So what, what I do, because I'm a good mentor, is I appease my own self by allowing myself to force that person to suffer and laugh at them whilst they are suffering. But I create a suffering kind of like a little temporary curse type thing which means that they learn from it so if they're in the hot water i just crank it up a little bit and put the lid on so they're stuck in that water 
So they have no option but to, you know, get through a situation that's slightly worse than the situation they were in and yet have them forced to get through it as opposed to pick it up and put it down. Don't know what that shows you about me and my personality, but that is is free. It's that for, for if it happens a third time, I can't cope with it. Too many times I've had students that do that, and it's a multitude of fuck ups. Um, one of the, I mean, you could go into common, uh, mundane or magical folk fuck ups, things like magical tattoos and stuff like that. But it is what it is. In terms of if I want someone to learn something, the, first, the most important thing to learn is if I tell you to do something, right, and you don't do it. I'll sympathise a tiny wee bit, tiny little bit. Second time, if I repeat myself a second time, don't let it get to a third time. Believe me, don't let it get to a third time. Uh, have you thought of any m specific magical fuck-ups, Chris? Or are we going on to the next question? There are, no there are no specific ones that come to mind. I get frustrated with exactly what you're talking about, but Generally speaking, the only thing that ever frustrates me is when people don't try and they make excuses. Um, if they are willing to say, actually, I didn't do it, um, I probably should, but I didn't want to do it for these reasons, I can live with that. Um, what I don't like is where they don't, because I feel like that is you not trusting me as your mentor that it's worthwhile you doing mm. and I don't think actually there's a bigger insult really than someone basically going I didn't do it I know you asked me I didn't do it and it, it you know like there are genuine reasons why people don't do stuff obviously uh you know but it's the dog at my homework left it mm. on the bus those sorts of excuses that I feel like what you know grind my gears and piss me off um, is that, yeah, if you're having to, and then as an extension to that, what you're talking about, which is when you've then done it several times over and you're like, okay, if you don't want to do it, tell me you don't want to do it. And then we'll figure out why it is you don't want to do it. Mm. Um, but if it's just a case of, I didn't want to do it and I, I wasn't brave enough to tell you I didn't want to do it. Um, or, like I said, that often reads to me as I don't care enough to try. Um, and that's what I struggle with. But yeah, move on. What type of magic do you hate? For example, sigil magic, textiles magic, ceremonial magic, blah, blah, blah. Um, For me, obviously, textiles isn't my go-to thing and I'd never think I'm going to do some textile work generally speaking but i will use it poppets and stuff like that I'll, I'll i'll put it into something i've done death shrouds and things so it's not like it's a no-no i think for me blood sorcery i've often found to be too tedious so i generally go to i can't think of a reason to do that ever blood sorcery um ancestral work again is one of those things that i probably think is not really a type of magic that i practice because dead people bore me but i do it because every now and then it's kind of necessary 
or you get roped into it in terms of avoiding completely. Um, I suppose the sorts of beggars, so trying to form a submissive kind of attachment to a spirit and worship. I don't do religion and worship in terms of magical practice, and I don't do probably working a lot with blood either, to be fair, um, just because I find it too tedious. I can always find too many loopholes in it, I suppose, Chris. Yeah, it's not foolproof enough, is it? Mm. Um, well, the obvious, I don't, like, kind of not to agree with you, but to have to, um, don't really like necromancy. I don't necessarily dislike ancestral work, but I kind of see that as slightly different. Mm. General necromancy, can't stand. Um, blood sorcery, I don't tend to use my blood. But again, I think it's probably for similar reasons to you as inefficiency. Um, if anything, I, I tend to avoid bodily functions of my own uh, in in spellcraft as much as I, you know, I, I'd even probably hesitate before I put spittle or any other of bodily fluid into magic, generally speaking. Um, but that's just because I don't like messy magic um so next couple of questions quick fire first thing that comes into your head right okay if your enemy was a god or goddess which one would it be Ooh. the first right judging totally on first name that came into head and that might be a um, Freudian, you know, uh, yeah, Freudian slip, um, was Gaia. I don't know why that in. Yahweh popped into my head and not specifically Yahweh. It wasn't even like one of the other names. It was that specific name with the, uh, yeah. you know, that goes with it. Um, but yeah, then the that's, it has been an enemy of mine in the past. <laughs> when, I mean, when I say Gaia, I kind of mean Danu and all those other kind of earth goddesses. Mm. But not because I have any particular beef with them, just more the fact that they're the ones that get forced down my throat too often. Um, yeah. But go on, next. If you invented a Sabbath, what would it be? We did invent, well, we invented it almost a calendar. We invented the season of obligation, didn't we? We did. I don't know if that counts. We didn't invent the dumb supper, but we kind we of invented Halloween psychic fairs. I don't know if that counts. Um, I would probably, I suppose the closest thing to inventing a Sabbath would be, um, altering sabbaths the closest thing to i suppose new would be between basically november december is like deep darkness for me okay so we call it the season of obligation but it is where my life is the most cut off and dead so it's completely introspective kind of shadowy type work is always at that time for me which i see everyone going about and celebrating and stuff like that and it's completely the opposite 
for me. It's like a very like it's like it is lit, typical lim liminal October is actually the end of the year. January starts the year for me because I get to use my new calendar. Those months between, it's just nowhere. So for me, it would be kind of like some kind of shadowy introspective look and check myself in uh, November, December, two months, I suppose. That's what I put mm -hmm. down to. Uh, so next question, what is your favorite potion? Mine's gotta be four fever vinegar. I was just gonna say gin. Gin, oh, that's fine. Um, what major arcana tarot card sums you up? And it says the other person, so Liam has to pick Chris, and Chris has to pick Liam. Oh, okay. That's easier. Ooh. What? Okay, so you say yours. I would, probably, arcana. I would probably say the chariot. That's rude. <laughs> that is so fucking rude. <sighs> Are you going to elaborate as to why? Um, I could have said something. <laughs> I could have said something really corny, like the star or something like that. But you wouldn't have fell for that. Um, yes. And I specifically, not only am I saying that specific card, but I'm actually saying the Rider Waite version. Specifically. I'm really struggling with this. So with the Rider Waite. The Rider Waite, you should totally just say High Priestess. and I would that, you See, that was the first thing that I immediately thought. But I think I read too much into the card. <laughs> so I was you like, always... that would be the first thing that I would put, but then I'm kind of thinking, but that isn't you. And I'm just thinking if there's another one that's like looking at it now, whether there's one that's the best suited. And I, the closest thing that I'm thinking potentially, and I don't think it's right, but there's something that draws me to it is temperance. Oh, okay. I could get that. But no, immediately, if I suppose if it was quickfire, I would have had to have said High Priestess card. Well, I'm quickfire because I, that's what you told me I had to do. Mm -hmm. So this is a quickfire one. I don't think it's supposed to be for me, but I'll answer it anyway. How many sewing machines do you have? Me personally, none. And an overlocker, I believe, does count. Okay. Are we counting how many I've acquired in the last year? How many you currently own? I currently own three. Right. If we Very include helpful. my own. But Most expensive. Seven in the last year. Most expensive book in your collection. Most expensive book. Depends if it's a legal one or an illegal one. So I have a couple of hardback editions from Free, I think it's Free Hands Press, um, that are quite expensive that I bought uh, alchemical books and such that I bought basically to flip through and then sell on for a profit when they stop being published. 
um illegal book so free pdf download i've got a collection of uh it was a herbal i think it was native american herbal something like that really old uh that would be well i looked it online and they were wanting like several hundred dollars for it american dollars so i suppose that most expensive book in your collection chris well mine isn't a witchcraft book the most expensive book in my collection is that gorgeous book that was gifted to me years ago uh, which is paintings of venice um and it has those full kind of a1 fold out pages i think i've shown it you twice yeah and that's worth like 300 pounds but that's that's probably my most expensive book okay worst magical books you've ever read i'm gonna chime in straight away okay i'm gonna chime in straight away and i'm gonna say the llewellyn catalogue of, of publications that they give you if you're a whole you know because they're a wholesaler of books and they publish so when they give you their catalog of all the books you can buy or stock from them that's the worst book i've ever read because i believe that's the closest thing to counting all of their entire book collection as possible all of the shit is in one book and you'll probably learn more from that catalog than all of the books that are in that catalog because at least you can use the catalog for like bibliomancy <laughs> so worst magical book well i was originally going to say the the entire collective works of scott cunningham but you've kind of covered those um well we'll go with that because that is an option because the 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 next question is the best magical book you've ever read hmm i'd probably say um the bible the bible interesting i'd say obviously it's got to be our friend heinrich agrippa's three books of the cult philosophy it's three books in one and i first the first time i ever got it, i was flipping through i was like yeah yeah oh yeah okay okay oh interesting and i was kind of like why is why is no one reading this like it was on all the lists of like influential occult books that everyone should buy but whenever i speak to anyone it's normally oh yeah i've got that book i've had it for years do you ever read it do you ever go no 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 don't it's one of those books that is on so many magicians and i use the term magician very specifically the shelves of their libraries and they generally do have libraries um, and yet it doesn't necessarily get studied. So I'd say that I think is very underestimated, which is why we tend to make a big thing of it. What's your best magical book you've ever read? Hmm. Again, I'm not sure. Like I, I definitely say I definitely say I've used Bibles when I was younger. Um for work like that. But most most of my inspiration comes from mythos. Um, I actually particularly can't stand reading other people's magical works. Um, so Agrippa probably would be one of the best ones. Well, I, I think ever... you can call myth, you know, a magical book. I think they would class that as a magical book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, myth, mythos and specifically mythos-wise. 
would be kind of things like the works of Ovid um, and probably some of the other kind of Athenian drama dramatists like Sophocles, Euripides, etc. Um, really, really twisted one is if you want to go and use Aristophanes. Um, those are just kind of fucked up, but in the best possible way. Um, but that's my reading of them, not necessarily um, academia's. What's next? We've got a live one. Um, have you had a spell gone wrong? What happened and how you fix it? Of course, things can go wrong. Um, generally speaking, they go wrong personally when I think oh, I can't be bothered to do it properly or put any effort in, I'll just fix it. So often programming into the spell, I often know that something's going to go wrong because I know my blase attitude towards things. I think the last stupid, majorly stupid decision that I did make, magically speaking, was I was doing some altar work. And Chris knows this one. I put the, I didn't bother to read any of the images or look at any of the images. I just assumed what that image was labeled because it was in a museum. It was the person that it was said on the plaque. And I introduced that. There was something nasty in it. And it, it just interfered and fucked up with the whole situation and all of that sort of thing. It was a right little nightmare to get rid of. <laughs> which was a blessing in disguise because I now use it as a form of teaching, Chris. <laughs> as you've noticed, I'm sure. Um, yeah, what's the last thing you remember messing up? I was gonna say, I, I, most of my, which I suppose is true for most people, to be honest, most of my, oh, sorry. Um, most of my, magical fuck-ups are accidental magics where I've forgot to check myself before I wreck myself kind of situation where in passing comments I've said something and then not thought of how much energy I put behind those words accidentally like I don't know about you but for me I find holding back is where my limit is um, and where my problems lie they're not in trying hard um i am your natural's worst nightmare um where it's just kind of like okay drop dead um and i off, often have to think when i say words like that that i hold back every mm. part of me and you know especially when people get rude about it and you're kind of like, you're lucky to be alive right now, so please don't push me. I did hold myself back. Um, so when people get really offended, particularly online, um, you're kind of like, I did hold back. That was me holding back, and that was me being nice. Um, don't push me. Um, I'm trying right. to think of a specific one for you. Not there isn't one coming to mind. That's all right. I think that 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 sums you up because uh, I've been known there to be a many a story of you uh, getting away with yourself 
before you think about what you're doing. <laughs> that stuff tends to happen. So next question, is there any form of divination that you just can't use slash read with? For me, I've never been one that's gravitated towards runes and whenever I do, it's like a light shining in my face. So as a form of using the energy for work, magical work, yes. In terms of reading, I struggle with the whole rune situation. I'd rather use and go into it and play with the energy in terms of having it whisper words and such not not my cup of tea i think that the over un, over arching kind of energy that emanates is too strong for me to focus on it's kind of like being shouted at uh for yeah. me so yeah it's, it's it's not never i never use runes for divination chris is gonna say entrail readings or something in it I'm, I'm going to say something really chintzy i think which is i hate crystal balls and I suppose we can both agree that pendulums are a waste. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand them. Um, and I, know it, I know it's where people like to start. And I know I've got one. Like, I was gifted one when I left as an actual joke. Um, and I have kept hold of it. But I've sometimes thought about using it for magical uses. And I just kind of get this massive reverb back of that's a bad idea um so yeah kind of stuff like that kind of black mirrors I'll, I'll throw in there as well those kind of but in the kind of stone variety should we say i love a black mirror mm -hmm. and i like a crystal ball but i cannot stare into it no so it's a fidget spinner and that really gets me going that really helps me focus like that and i often do that because it really pisses you off as well doesn't it um that or like if i've got too much information then having something that i've got a juggle in my hands really means that i can focus on and everything start to go slower um i use a crystal ball to juggle with whilst I'm juggling information. So I, I don't have a problem with crystal balls, but I don't like really staring into things because I find that I don't naturally, I do, I'm really naturally good at tuning out and tuning into frequencies in general. So the idea of black mirrors and stuff where they unfocus your mind, because I do that normally anyway, without problem, I've just got to find like my mind just goes to a corner of the room and then like, that's it. Um, the idea of like static or anything that is purposefully trying to unfocus your mind i find that doesn't work for me because my mind's like i'm supposed to be unfocused and i'm supposed to be unfocusing whereas if i actually just don't think about it my mind just does it automatically uh, mine, is, mine is more that it's it's too narrow a focus so when i practice you know what i'm like i i practice in murals that mm. fill the eyesight in every direction and I've got really quite wide peripheral vision. And so for me, having to focus on something here um, for a long period of time, regardless of what the design is for, it's struggle. I, I can't, I want to know what's going on here and I'll get lost in what's going on over there. 
um, and not in a kind of ADHD way, just that I can't often separate myself from the bigger picture, um, which is why I get so frustrated. I'm so frustrating to have an argument with because I always look at everything, from every perspective. Um, so when someone is trying to go, well, you haven't considered, and I have considered it, these are your answers, which really makes, you know, for really awful arguments, but, you know, that's them. If you had to have a familiar, what animal form would it take? Interesting. What animal form would it take if you had, if you had, oh, if you had to have a familiar, so you can't say I don't want it, what animal form would it take? So it has to be an animal, it has to be a familiar. I like the Power Rangers robot owl thing, right? I get like people love dogs and cats and all these familiars and stuff. If I had a pet familiar, if I had a familiar, I would want it to be a robot animal. I don't want it to be so natural. <laughs> If I had like a lion or something like that, I'd want it to be a robot lion. I don't want like a lion lion. I'm weird like that. Does that um, count? I don't know if it counts. I think it kind of does. You have that because you are the robot at this point. I'm um, going to say robot owl is going to be my familiar. <laughs> robot owl makes me go straight back to Clash of the Titans and those kind of old 50s movies where it's a little clockwork owl. Um, that works for Athena. Robot, robot, owl, power, Power Rangers. I'm sure it was Power Rangers. Power Rangers time for yes. See, that would so be my familiar. <laughs> Mine would be uber boring by comparison, which is definitely a peregrine falcon. Obviously, um, that goes without saying. Right. This is all the patrons all want to know this, Mr. Chris. Next question. Will you ever give up teaching magic? Oh, I don't think I could if I wanted to. I, I would say I would definitely try. I don't think that it would happen because I think that I get frustrated with that that's the reason why i went into teaching in the first place was i just couldn't keep my fucking mouth shut and then when you say have you tried this why don't you try that don't do it like this why don't you try this then all of a sudden people are like oh you must know something tell me blah 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 i put my foot in it constantly so for me is i would definitely try to give it up at some point no doubt later in life but i don't think i ever probably will because i'll end up going back to it it won't be a universe pulling it back to me it will be me putting my foot in it <laughs> somehow. I think I've just always taught and I don't know how to stop. So. Now this one's easy because we're actually both doing it, I think. If you were to write a book on magical subject, what would it be? I'm writing a book with our friend Lady Poison. It's going to be on uh, herbal medicine magic herbal basically a, a witchcraft herbal uh but better than the sort of shit that you get out there um and chris you're doing one on textile magic textile magic the definitive guide to textile magic 
Um, do you have any planetary biases slash unbalances? They put unbalances in brackets, which basically means presumably they're trying to probe us for vulnerability, Chris. Um, or they don't understand the difference. Yeah. So I definitely, my strongest is Saturn. Second would be Mercury. My weakest is Venus. There you go. I've given my vulnerabilities out there. Why do I do that? Because if you did decide to, uh, you know, use that to get one over on me, it would probably be a good thing for me because it means that I would actually have to directly address them instead of just putting it off and surviving. What about you? Well, we know mine. Mine is, uh, mine is, I, I do get quite Saturnine, but I don't consider it to be unbalanced. Mm. I don't think it I don't think it leans too much in any direction. I feel like I approach a lot of the others through Saturn. Um but I wouldn't consider that to be a bias. Obviously I have a heavy a heavy flow and a wide set vagina. Um um so I'm definitely <laughs> <laughs> definitely over in the Venus department. Yeah. <laughs> But lo recently, I've been having a mercurial problem, haven't I? You have. You I'm, have. I'm too heavily. I wouldn't call it a problem. I You're think it's making up for lost time. I think it's a problem. Do you hate astrology? Ooh. Hate is a strong word. Yeah. I quite like a natal chart. I think it's a useful starting point when you meet someone in some ways it's kind of more useful than actually speaking to them personally that is a very mercurial robot thing to say um i think i need to go and check myself but the generally speaking um i suppose i see the world through the zodiac but that's not um it's not astrology yes so we there i would imagine astrology is referring to so here's the thing i don't hate astrology i have a severe disliking for astrologers a lot of the time like mm. i have a strong disliking for psychics a lot of the time just because most of them are annoying we just hate psychics does astrology form a, a a cornerstone foundation of my practice no because i find it too tedious and i find that i can get better answers quicker with less effort you know astrology is one of those things that i might use it to go and see patterns in oh i think this i'm seeing this blah 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 oh look it's mirrored in the astrology is never my go-to but occasionally if it comes up i don't tend to use it to check either but if it comes up because people speak as astrological babble i'll be like oh yeah that makes sense that makes sense so it's, it's not really a mine is kind of more to compound with the previous answer which is we always talk about the classical seven um but obviously the one that i have the most uh, bias of is obviously neptune but that's only going to make any sense to you, yeah. not yeah. the rest of them. So <laughs> why didn't it before? Mm. Right. So this one I've put is two separate questions, although I think they were trying to be sneaky and put it as one question, but they are getting two questions here. 
would you ever consider starting your own religion question mark if you did what would you call it i think you did didn't they didn't they call didn't didn't they call it um didn't they call it the arton the arton <laughs> oh hell the arton <laughs> no that was not me <laughs> <laughs> despite popular opinion that was not me <laughs> um i wouldn't i i would never consider starting my own religion now um if i was to start a religion what would i call it um i would call it You're struggling with this one, aren't you? I'll answer the part of the question. Definitely no. I don't like religion. I don't. It's only creating armies. Um, the mine would probably called something stupid like unicornism because I'd be a complete prick about it. If I was to legitimately start a, a religion, it would probably be more of a movement and it would be one of those ironic, obvious things, kind of a bit like Satanism, right? I would probably call it churchianity because churchianity is kind of a word that people can remember and it's also the one that gets used. And it would mainly be, although obviously we have Christian people that we mentor and stuff like that, so I'm not knocking Christianity per se, Church, the idea that you find God or connect with God, divine that through someone else, through a vicar or priest telling you what to do. I call that churchianity, you know, rather than what people would say Christianity. I take a lot of Christians and I say, well, kind of just mirroring what you're told. We have uh, in uh, certainly from my past, Christian basically uh lots of people from the evangelical kind of movement which is talking about oh my relationship with god i have a personal relationship with god blah 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 which basically means they pray and then they ask the pastor what to do when they're not actually accessing anything they're just asking a person very often i can see a lot of and i have seen a lot of problems over the years i'm sure we all have of people that get put as the priest or the person in charge that speaks for God, essentially, or for the divine. So I would probably call it church any, and it would be a parody of that, but so in your face that we would have like rituals of Chinese whispers where God would have a message, we put them all into a hat, pull one out, and we would have like ceremonial games like the vicar or the priest has to has to say the um scripture the thing that's written on it and they're not allowed to say what's on it and the people have to guess so if it says i made a little brown fish they pull that out of the out of the thing the priest or something would have to say something else say i like to eat turkey turkey was what i eat for my christmas dinner you know, it would be basically just proving a fucking point that you can't trust people that assert themselves in authority over other people a lot of the time. Um, next question. 
if you could only teach one magical subject in a witchcraft school, what would it be? Mm. Copy textile magic for you, and it, Chris. I don't know, you know. I don't think it would. I think it would probably be weather magic, be something elemental. I would label my class uh, magic in theory and practice, and it would basically be about the mercurial side of things, you know? <laughs> so it would be like, how does all of this work? Magic in theory and in practice, what's the theory behind it? Now take that fear and do something practical with it. Because I can't, because like, there's enough leeway. That to me is like the physics of magic. It's like physics to a certain extent. So it's kind of like, I think I could cope with that. Doing it forever and ever and ever, essentially, or for the rest of my this incarnation. So you'll go with um, elemental, let's say weather magic, I suppose. There's a lot you can do with that. So next, favorite TV witch? Oh, the the new Sabrina. The new Sabrina. Um, and my close second to that would probably be the aunts out of Practical Magic. Ah, see, I was going to go American Horror Story, but I was going to go for the Ma Maria Lavelle. On American first, <laughs> I think she's just fucking f funny. Um, I'd pick Peppa Legba over her, but Peppa Legba in that isn't a witch, so you know, I'd go Maria. Le the, the latest kind of thing that I've seen numerous witchy films, TV series, the American Horror Story one. Most of the witches are kind of are a little bit wet and annoying, uh, but Maria Lebeau was just funny. She's got good one liners, I'd have to pick her. Uh, if magic was to be added to the high school curriculum, I think we have an American here, what would be taught? Oh, okay. That's a really difficult question to answer. If magic was to be added to the high school curriculum, what would be taught? So what should, what magic should be taught in? I would probably do uh, the reception of a of a gripper. So in classics, we ha we have something called classical reception, and it's about how it's received through time and medium. Um, and I think I'd do a I think it would be a class on that kind of like uh, art appreciation or literary appreciation, but with one specific text in mind. I would, I suppose I would instate, I'd, I'd, I'd put in a new lesson that would be somewhere between, again, showing my bias, um, it would be somewhere between religious, so RS, religious studies, and physics, and art. So I would m create a new subject, but everything that you do would be course-based. So it would be like practical based. So you'd have to do something. It can't be let no no essay writing allowed, right? Would it be called new Gnosticism? Maybe something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you would have to 
draw from both all three of those you'd have to draw a little bit from art you'd have to draw a little bit from science you'd have to draw a little bit through religion and it would be to it would be a journey of self-discovery it'd be all these big kind of philosophical things where there's no right and wrong answer but it would be through some kind of medium you'd have to pick so that would be like an arty kind of thing so you could pick how you would deliver your final i think you'd have like an ongoing project and the thing would be to present that ongoing project at the end and your story of what you've been through something like that i don't know i'm pulling ideas out of my fucking head here would you have a specific subject that you'd call that occult what occult philosophy you're one um, no it'd be something like um yeah reception of agrippa something like that what is the worst magical thing you would do to a person? The worst magical thing I would do to a person. Well, I suppose the worst thing I could possibly do is just obliterate them. So you've done worse than that before. You've done far worse than that. You've interfered with people over multiple lifetimes. That's far worse than what you're literally just said. If you obliterate someone, they're just dead. Mm, permanently. Well, yeah, but are they going to know or care? Well, no, I suppose. No ongoing suffering. <laughs> oh, okay, the most twisted thing I'd do, yeah, would be, <laughs> yeah. I could go on forever. That's a really long, that's so easy a question. I suppose the worst magical thing I would do to a person would be um, active torture, right? So active torture as opposed to inactive torture to me means that if I was to do an inactive torture, I would do a curse. I would do something that sticks with them. Okay, I would do it and it, I just walk away and I, I've done that before, you know, if it's active that means i'm participating constantly so to make the person my new pincushion essentially is probably the worst thing that i would realistically do i do follow the general rule guideline it's a rule i think isn't it we did agree to it that we don't negatively impact people over multiple lifetimes so i would draw the line at that uh but in terms of Constantly picking on them, I, I would probably that would be pretty nasty. I would do that. My best hole for that is the the affecting people for multiple lifetimes thing is immortality. Um, but that's that would be reserved for someone I really dislike, and obviously it would it would not be a nice immortality either, where they are able to gain riches and wonder. It be the kind of slow reality where they're slow, you know, the the slower mortality where your body is still decaying, um, to the point that they're just right. a walking corpse. Okay. So that, and that's me getting trying to get around the. Well, it's technically one lifetime. This is true. Um, one cycle. <laughs> One an eternal cycle, just one eternity. I mean, there are there are multiple levels to eternity. So, oh, 
yeah i mean when we get creative we get very scary here's a more light-hearted one what color socks are you wearing oh they are currently gray with white spots so i'm wearing black socks my favorite socks to wear if anyone wants to buy me some are white sports socks they're like crew cut socks i love white socks i've got a thing for white socks i'm not gonna lie don't tell anyone i never release that publicly but white socks do it for me um creepy what was your nickname when you were little my first name was little drac little track <laughs> i thought it was mona the vampire <laughs> my name is christopher lee Christopher Ling, Little Drack, ah, uh, yes. I was called Lamborghini in primary school, and I don't know why, as in the car. It's because there was a group of people, and everyone in the secret group had the name, and it was a car brand, and mine that was given to me was Lamborghini. I didn't know what one was back then, but... Uh, okay. How many pagans does it take to screw in a light bulb? Did they give an answer or are we just supposed to give one? It is a joke. They gave an answer, but I think they want us to give one. I can't give one because I can <laughs> see what the answer is. But would you happen to make a guess? How many pagans does it take to screw in a light bulb? I would say it's one that did it over and over again in worship of Allah and I'm just I'm just yeah messing with multiple there go on right how many pagans does it take to screw in a light, light bulb the answer they don't screw in light bulbs they screw in stone circles there is an element of truth to that I will give that to them um do you find magic to be more effective when performed in the astral or the physical realm to get physical results? Both at the same time, I say. Yeah. Economical. I think we can both agree on that. I think we've covered that before. Um, what's on your current playlist? Funnily enough, the Kill Bill intro is on my current playlist given that it was on that so that I could edit this. Um, um, I'm not sharing that. That's personal information. I'm not telling you what's on my current playlist. My current one is a Latino cardio mix. Oh. It's one that Spotify gives. This is well weighty. But it's the only reason I get out of bed every day at the moment. Right, here's one. We should ask Will this one, actually. Have you ever had any interaction with Yahweh? If so, what happened? Uh, basically, that entire thing tried to acquire me at one point when I was very, very young. Took full advantage of it, but I didn't fall for it. That is my backstory that I don't care to go into right now because there's just no time. Uh, you, what about you, Chris? Interaction? Not really. I think generally, generally Yahweh knows to stay clear. Um, but yeah, not really. 
I deal more with his minions, as you well know. They like to be hogtied in, in the spare bedroom. Uh, yes, you do like tying up angels, don't you? Yeah. Uh, what has been your favourite episode so far? Weaving Planet. Yeah, see, for me, I'm thinking either the chicken one, which was actually called the chicken one, or Weaving Planets, because I think we were pretty much spot on with those in terms of like the ideal mix of humor and actual serious information i will probably go with you and say we've in planets that's both our favorite episodes that's interesting i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that one i remember it being a good one but uh is it better to have loved and lost or never to have loved at all um Better to have loved, definitely. But that's me talking figuratively and physically. Is it better to have loved and lost or never to have loved at all? Um, I suppose it depends whether you can get over it. If you never actually get over it and you're one of those, I don't know, old spinsters that their husband died when they were in their 30s and they've been depressed up and lived up until their 90s. I suppose it's probably better never to have loved because you've been suffering for more time than you've... I kind of have the... It's the scales. Pleasure, pain. Loss is pain. I'd rather experience the pleasure more. So if I experience the pleasure longer than the loss, I'll say the pleasure. So the love. If I experience the loss for longer than the love, I'll say I don't want, didn't want in the first place. That would probably be what I would put. Again, I'm a robot. I would say heartbreak is I think, something very powerful. And it's a good process of metamorphosis. Right. So we have three more questions. Okay, next question. Are you planning to do more live episodes? I don't think we are, are we? We do the Feisty Witches, but not not the podcast mm-hmm. now. No. Um, next question. WTF, what the fuck, is a seat of power? Well, we're getting to real questions now. Um, how do I best explain that in a few minutes? In a few seconds. Um, quickest way to d- dispel that. Okay. The seat of power is a throne. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't really tell you anything. No, I know, which is exactly what a cult is like to do in it. They say, yeah, they'll give an answer, but it's one they got them all over, and it doesn't really answer the question. But at the same time, you can't accuse them of saying the, a lie or the wrong thing because you can fit it into actual the truth of the situation. Yes, seat of power. Yes, a, a throne would be the most representative way of doing it. But I think that's a tricky one because I think you could argue a round table would have a whole set of seats um, and you could experience all of those but they would be trickier it depends on the concept they mean seat of power do they mean I think they're presumably mean in the form that we've discussed mm-hmm. before so establishing yourself as a seat of power or becoming a seat of power so really you're talking about um 
a relationship with extremely powerful spirit or really your a spirit is working for you the, the, the art of old-fashioned old way of a cult cult c-u-l-t and um priest priestess kind of roles in the form of kind of like oracle of delphi shit you know i suppose that's one example I'm not saying all of them are like that but you are the sword of that deity you are the active physical um not representation but the channel through which that deity will operate in a physical capacity so it could be sharing a body with it could be many different things could be doing work for it a lot of the time possession work comes into that kind of thing normally um last question we'll take because it's gone way over an hour um what is the mesopotamian problem <laughs> no i i suppose um we are already doing that episode or i think we kind of almost recorded that episode i don't know if it turned out so i'll ignore that question um and we'll go to some of the ones that came on the thing um as we both approaching pride month would you both consider doing a podcast about lgbtb uh, lgb alphabet people communities contribution to witchcraft and the occult throughout history and the modern day uh probably not now it sounds very history history that seems to be to me personally boring i would do a podcast and talking about lgbt people and all of that kind of stuff in occult practice and how occult practice magic varies between people within that kind of group because i think that that's interesting but i'd rather do that as like a mini series so i'd like to talk a little bit about um you know transgender people within magic accepted not accepted in communities whether it's different that kind of thing gay people lesbian people i'd rather take the issue and rather than talk about the history of it because i find that boring um i would rather think because i'm a practical person i think practically i find that the biggest problem comes from exclusion i think a lot of that kind of thing so it is a case of you know oh you can't join our group because you haven't got the right biological parts or this that and the other as a magical practitioner what i do is like we teach chris work with the raw ingredients that you've got what people have you got if you're forming a group or creating a carbon structure or an occult organization or something go with what you've got if you cannot adapt and bringing someone else because they're a little bit different i find that a very poor magical practitioner i find that kind of silly because you, you there may be some adaptations that you need to make sure but you should be able to do it if you know anything about magic you should be able to adapt things to make magic work you know uh, what about you, Chris? Are you okay with history or did you find it boring like me? I, I struggle with needing to know or figuring out who was who was what at what point. And um, I think what's more interesting, even from a historical point of view, was the understanding of uh, masculine and femininity 
is an interesting conversation. Um, that impact on magic is quite an interesting one from an ancient perspective. Mm. Uh, then comparing it to today, I think the biggest plight currently is still this kind of very Wiccan notion of divine masculine femininity in the polarities point of view. But that to me is a far more interesting topic but also because it would require lots of researchers to figure out which of these were gay or not. Mm. Um, and I, that would require far more uh, research than I was willing, I'm willing to give. If, um, if he wants to give me us a list of people that he's actually considering, um, so then I... That, uh, Martin, wasn't that? Yeah, Martin. So Martin, if, if you're listening, if... we... We have planned to do a specific episode, and each episode would cover a specific type of person from a different back or a specific background, you know, and their magical practice and what it looks like in comparing and contrasting. So, for example, we've talked, we've got one called I think is May Contain Nuts, which is talking about men. So, stereotypical men, the male mysteries, male path, that kind of thing. We've got one from female path. We've got one, I think, coming out that we were talking about menopause and stuff as well. I'm yeah. sure we'll cover a transgender. I'm sure we'll cover gay, lesbian, all that kind of thing. But I think that rather than, like uh, we say the term alphabet people, rather than put all of these things together, I don't think that it's really worth it. I think that all of these people are individuals. And these individuals get clumped together into a group, you know, of gay or lesbian or queer or bi or whatever it is. And then that group then gets lumbered into a bigger group. I think to do it justice, we can't do the alphabet, LGBT, whatever. I think we have to do it individually. Um, yeah. well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to one that we discussed specific people if mm. it was a going actually what have these people brought to magic and us critiquing individuals and mm. uh, if you were to give us a list of say five um or ten maybe and we picked a few off that list and kind of went okay let's talk about their magical practice i'm totally okay with that um but to kind of chrono you know chronologically look and mm. chronicle the lives of gay magicians or, or whatever I think would just not be very us but. it's too much like uh, the, the problem with a lot of podcast books and stuff like that it is very much a case of we need a good foundation and knowledge of all the things that come before no no that is less important than doing something so we are never those that will waffle on and on and on, although we will waffle on, obviously, but waffling on about history and why you should respect this happened and that happened, and blah, 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 blah. There's too much of that out there, and there's more out there to history than you're ever going to learn reading books and stuff. So focusing on history, although there's stuff that you can learn from it, that's not what we feel that we're here for. That's not what I think we do best. Anyway, there's people that do that far better than we do. I think that the, it needs to be practical. So for me, I have had clients, people that have had issues with magic because of, you know, various different, and I'm not necessarily saying sexual orientation or things like that or gender or anything like that, but even things like uh, physical disabilities and such, you know, we were talking about doing a, 
uh, podcast all about adaptations for ritual, magical practice and such for people with physical disabilities, you know. That is all something that would be tackled from a practical perspective. It's not about this person did this, that person did that. This is what you should be doing. It's a case of, I have this problem. I come from this background. I am this person. What do I do? Because I can't find anything that would suit me or I'm being told no. Yeah. Sorry, you can't join our coven because we meet at Stand and Drew and is not wheelchair accessible. Seems like complete BS to me, but there we go. I suppose we should take one more. Um, we've got 10 minutes left. Jason says, how might you magically annoy one another? We kind of wind each other up a little bit. I I think my breathing, I would say, um, it's a case of you know what the other person is going to say before you say it. And it's that annoying thing of seeing some, like a car crash happen in slow motion. <laughs> That's the closest thing I think that's the most annoying. Because I see the look on Chris's face before I say something because I know he knows what I'm going to say. And that makes it all the sweeter for me. It's like I've got a win from upsetting him, but I've got two wins there because I upset him first. And then there's a pause, and then I say the thing, and I upset him again, basically. Essentially, yeah. Um, I stay as clear away from your mind as I can help to. Um, but yes, when we spend too much time together. So there we go. That has been the 100th episode, I can't believe it, of the No Hosbard Witchcraft podcast, series one. Will there be a series two? Maybe there'll be a series two, maybe there won't. I'm not going to agree to anything. We'll have to see whether you really, 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 really want it. After the after the recording of the Mesopotamian one, I'm kind of feeling maybe we need to give it up. Well, you don't have a laptop now, do you? You yeah. have to do this no. through your phone. Yeah, it's working now. I had to oh, it's working. Thank you both. Congratulations on a hundred. Oh, imagine if we ever got to a thousand episodes, Chris. What would that be like? That would be weird, wouldn't it? So, on the last episode, this episode, hundredth episode of the first series, um, looking back throughout the whole thing, we've shared with our our favourite episode, which was Weaving Planets. From the very early on, we kind of said that we will find our, our voice, we'll set the tone, and to kind of go on to the 100th episode and see where we are. Because this is, we're supposed to have gone through some sort of growth, Chris. <laughs> we're supposed to have evolved our podcasting and such, and ability to talk is supposed to. Have, I wonder whether we've gone backwards a little bit. I think the golden era was somewhere in the middle where we took it really seriously for like a little bit. And now it's like the live feed doesn't work, this doesn't work, we turn up late, don't we, Chris? You know, various things. I don't hey, know. Did you, go, did you go to Wales and back today? No, you did not. No, but I have been to the moon and back. Yeah, sure. So there we go. That has been the 100th episode. Goodbye, I suppose. 
I could play a site with some music, but I haven't got any. Have I got anything to play on here? I don't think I have. Nope. Sorry. Got nothing to play. Um, this week, Fausty Witches, obviously Sunday, we will be announcing the Witch Wars 6 results. So anyone that's currently listening, if you haven't given us your Witch Wars 6, the Money Magic one, um, details, we need to add that to our spreadsheet we got a spreadsheet it's all very technical um and it is in the cloud so don't worry if chris's computer crashes again it will all be safe so in the cloud somewhere with the psychics because they're all in the clouds um and yeah so this weekend on sunday will be i don't know what episode we're doing we could do a money magic one i suppose something like that i don't know but this episode of fancy witches will end up being the results as well so Goodbye, everyone. You've got to wave, Chris, remember? Because they can see us now. The other ones, you don't need to wave. Because they only get the audio bit. But when there's a visual, the cameras, they can see you. Okay, remember that. If we ever do a 200th one... It's the Queen Day we tomorrow. We do a Queen one. And, and look from side to side. Bye. <laughs>